Plus, the podcast from Commercial Integrator. I'm Adam Forziani, web editor here at CI. Today we present to you our monthly feature show with news highlights from April and a look at GenCom, a company that's figured out a really solid interpersonal way of transitioning CEOs. We'll also ask you to think pretty candidly today on how your business spends money on itself. But first, a little housekeeping. You can learn more about AV Plus online at commercialintegrator.com slash podcast and on Twitter by searching the hashtag AV Plus pod. That's A-V-P-L-U-S pod on Twitter. We'd appreciate it so much if you could take a moment too to hit subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It does help us reach more AV pros trying to find quality podcasts. Also, do you have a story of an embarrassing, awkward, or otherwise surprising time on a job? We want to hear from you. Email me at adam.forziati at emeraldexpo.com. That's A-D-A-M dot F-O-R-Z-I-A-T-I at emeraldexpo.com. Okay, back to the show. Here's editors Tom Craig and I with the monthly news roundup and editor's desk. So if listeners have paid attention recently, they'll know that the last show was about Creston Masters. But you know, for those who are freshly uh, tuning in, Tom, you went to this training program. It's in rural Connecticut. Uh, Creston puts it on every year. Could you give us sort of like this rundown of like the highlights and what you thought was valuable about Creston Masters this year for integrators? Yeah, I think to understand Crestron Masters, you have to like think about, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's walking into it, right? Like, so, you know, you, like you said, it's in rural Connecticut. It's it's at the Mohegan Sun, which is one of the casinos in Connecticut. And, you know, these events start, what, at 8 a.m. in the morning or something like that. And you kind of walk in to the casino and, you know, everything's just kind of uh, dead, you know. There, there are those people who like to gamble at seven o'clock in the morning, or maybe they've been gambling since seven o'clock the previous night, and they're still there. The Ellen slot machine is faintly speaking to them. The, the, yes, the, there's a little bit of sadness as you kind of walk through the casino, but you make your way through the casino, and then you walk down a hallway following signs to Crestron Masters, and then you walk into, you know, this auditorium with a big stage for Crestron Masters and you're absolutely flabbergasted at how many folks in the industry made that trip. You know, it was worth the trip for them to get, you know, around people who like them are, you know, are, you know, in the in the trenches. You know, programming systems. It's not just about programming anyway, by the way. Digital media is a big part of Crestron Masters. You know, it, it's amazing how many people are in there, you know, sort of sharing ideas, challenging ideas. Um, you know, a lot of the, the conversations on stage were very two-way with the audience. And it really, you know, from a manufacturer event perspective, you know, my big takeaway is um, what a dedicated group of, you know, of attendees and, and I guess students attend Crestron Masters. It's it's very impressive. Now, you mentioned uh, challenges to uh, traditional AV business thoughts. Uh, it, could you potentially uh, remember one of those that you thought was a, a good point? Yeah. So right off the bat, during the keynote, uh, Rich Sashin, who is one of the folks who you know created the master's program so many years ago, um, one of the big points he made was uh, to challenge the traditional view of what a programmer does in this industry. Because when you think about it, like this industry is a little bit stuck in its ways when it comes to this is how we make our money. We do really ambitious custom um, design for systems. We do really ambitious custom programming. And that's our bread and butter. 
But Crestron, with Crestron Masters as a platform, is really challenging that and trying to get people to think more about, well, yeah, you are a custom integrator and what you do is really valuable, but what do your customers need? Often they need something that's a little bit more simplistic. Often they need a whole heck of a lot more rooms done than they did previously when you know we live strictly in that custom programming world. There's a, there's a, a high volume approach to the industry that we need to learn how to adjust to. And that was something that Crestron really challenged attendees on. When we think about uh, other news from the month of April, uh, ClearOne and Shure, they're, they're kind of back at it again. Yeah, ClearOne announced earlier this month that they're, they're suing Shure for you know, trade secret misappropriation uh, and infringement of their beam forming patent. Uh, Craig, you spoke with representatives on both sides of this issue. Uh, what happened this time, and you know where do you expect this litigation to go from here? Yeah, it's it's one of those things that goes back a, a few years. It's kind of been in in court. Sure, continues to to sell, you know the the product that uh, that Clear One says is is a violation of their patent, and you know it, it doesn't look like there's any end in sight. That it looks like this is going to go on for for a little while. Um, you know, there's been little victories on on each side. Okay, Craig, I wanted to take you aside for a moment to talk about the upcoming May issue of CI, its cover story, which you wrote, all about Gen Com. Now, the unique thing about Gen Com is that their leadership hasn't like quite left the building, so to speak, yet, uh, but he's uh, definitely thinking about doing so in the next eight to ten years when he wants to retire. What is he doing differently than most integrators do in terms of passing the torch? So I, I think this is brilliant, and I'm surprised that more companies don't think this way. Uh, Ingolf de Young, he's the owner, he's the president, he's the CEO of the company. He was former uh, NSCA president. He took over the company uh, after it was a uh, second-generation family business. He, uh, he bought the company uh, outright. He's thinking about retirement. He hasn't set a date. He hasn't decided when he's going to retire, but he's already grooming his replacement. He hasn't officially named anyone his replacement, but it's very obvious who is going to be the next president of GenCom. He, he takes him, his name is Brandon Grams. Uh, he, he's the vice president of engineering and operations. He takes him to, you know, industry shows. He travels with him to key clients. He, they have what uh, Brandon described as a lot of windshield time. So if it wasn't obvious to employees of GenCom for this, now that we've, uh, you know, published a mag or about to publish a magazine article with both of those two gentlemen on the cover. It, like I said, there's been no official announcement, but it's it's basically the worst kept secret in the industry. I mean, they travel everywhere together and they talk very openly about kind of what the relationship is and not, kind of how the the structure is going to work out. Yeah, there's this like struggle where a CEO or founder of a company might like worry about, hey, you know, how do I how do I actually conduct the business of figuring out the next person in line in a tasteful way. Do I keep it hush-hush? Do I make some grand announcement? You know, what's, what's the right way to do this? And basically what we're seeing is blatant, honest window shield time, as, yeah. he, as he phrased it. Yep. Actually helps the employees as well, because they know that at some point Ingolf is going to step aside and it, and it alleviates the fear of, well, what happens when that happens? Like, what, what happens to the company at that point? I, you know, even though it's way down the road, it, it, it helps them you know, maybe feel secure that the company is in, in good hands going forward. So 
guys, I wanted to ask you a question and uh, forgive me if this is maybe a bit too personal. When you have a little extra cash and it's really like just burning a hole in your wallet, what do you, what do you like to spend it on? Now, don't worry, this is not like a trick question. I just realized that, you know, while I do spend a lot of time with both of you uh, in day to day, I don't really think that I can predict what you're going to say on this. So I'm kind of curious. How much cash are we talking about? Uh, well, um, I didn't think that far ahead. Maybe $20. $20. Maybe I'll get a nice coffee. Uh, for not, $20? Not, not a, well, then I'll save some money and invest it for a future coffee. Okay, well, maybe maybe we should get beyond the realm of what apparently is pocket change. How about $50? How about $75? Um, oh, okay, let's go crazy. One hundo. What are you going to do with a $100 bill? So I'll take... The, the concept of me having $100, and I think, <laughs> I'll think about, okay, well, what do I need for the house or the yard? Naturally. So there's probably something that I should get for the yard. Yes. And then I'll probably end up spending the $100 at Home Depot. <laughs> How about you, Craig? <laughs> I would say most of my money, my extra cash, especially between uh, April and October, goes somewhere in the vicinity of Fenway Park and, and into the pockets of the Boston Red Sox. Okay. I, I would say that's that's probably where, where mm-hmm. I would be spending my money. Fair enough. It is really uh, a weird question to ask because like everybody thinks about you know what their priorities are very differently, right? And, and that's not a bad thing, but when we think about spending money as a business and, and having a little extra money to spend on your business, that becomes a very sensitive and very individual thing. I recently wrote an article about how integrators should consider spending on their business if their aim is to grow, because it's kind of hard to, to grow if you're not at least investing a little bit on things like training, expansion, that kind of thing. So who did I go to but our old pal, Chuck Wilson at NSEA. He regularly consults with integrators uh, who are members of the NSEA. I wanted to ask Chuck about just some general advice that he would give on growth strategies for integrators. The two most common mistakes that he sees about integrators who kind of go into things a little too soon. One of the first mistakes that he highlighted revolves around, you know, integrators don't always educate themselves enough on if they want to expand to a different market regionally about the uh, the legal and licensing concerns that, that go with that new area. And I just wanted to know, like, have you seen a company that has admitted to making that mistake, in it, at least initially? I know that, it, especially in the, the government uh, market, I, I think a lot of companies think they can just jump right in and, you know, be, be all set and, you know, start pursuing work like they do in the corporate space or in, you know, in sports or something like that. And, and it certainly does not work that way. You have to, you know, be partnered up with somebody who's already in this space or, you know, get on a contract with somebody. It's it is, there's certainly a lot to think about. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm probably not going to name a company name, but, but I can think of several instances when a company felt like they recognized an opportunity to expand into a geographic area. Usually it's like a fairly adjacent uh, geographic area, and it feels like a natural move to them. But there are just things about the move that they maybe didn't think through, such as like the the competition that they'd be facing in that market mm-hmm. or what their brand perception is already in that market because there's already been other integrators competing for the business in that market. And especially if you're one of the industry's larger firms, you know, they, they compare themselves to those firms and, you know, you have to deal with that perception when you move in. So. I think one of the, the real natural ways to invest your money is to invest in expanding geographically. But I do think that very often 
uh, integrators, you know, go into that a little too hastily. Another uh, mistake that Chuck wanted to highlight is that like integrators do like get hung up on spending money on the right employees, right? And what I mean by that is like as we all know, the you know, hiring market is pretty competitive in the AV space, and to the point where it seems like poaching an employee is kind of inevitable. Critical elements of you know spending money on your business in Chuck's mind anyway should be about fostering a company that makes employees want to stay in the long term. I mean, I, I think in general, this industry isn't that great at human resources. Occasionally, when you're at an executive conference and there's some HR expert on stage talking about you know how important it is for companies to market themselves mm. to the employee, as opposed to sort of the old school approach of the employee has to walk into the office and impress you. The, the the script has been kind of flipped on that, you know, nowadays. Employees expect to be marketed to, whether you like it or not, whether you think that's right or not. If you're a company that wants to nurture dedicated employees, you have to make them feel like you want them here. And you have to you have to build in, you know, benefits and you have to build in loyalty and you have to invest in their future and make them understand that you're that they're being invested in. It's really important, and I don't think the industry does it very well. Right, and it only makes sense, right? Because if an employee is feeling motivated, the quality of their work theoretically should go up. Yeah, I think on that point, I think you know what I often hear is that companies are reluctant to spend on training because of that reality that so many companies are gonna, you know, see their employees poached or or leave earlier. But I I find that to be not a very accountable approach. I, I think that companies should look at themselves in the mirror and think, well, why do I feel so vulnerable to an employee, you know, being poached or easily poached or, you know, jumping ship for whatever reason? And I think they should look in the, at themselves in the mirror and try to understand if they're creating uh, an, an opportunity that makes them feel like they have a great future at the mm -hmm. company. Yeah, part, part of why these employees may want to be leaving is they don't see an opportunity for themselves to, to grow or, you know, expand their, their careers or, you know, learn what, what they're hoping to learn at this particular company. And, and another company comes in and says, well, we'll give you that opportunity to do it. Why don't you come work for us? Yeah, and it probably doesn't work. You know, that, that other company is probably doing the same thing right. where they're going to end up in an environment that's not nurturing either, but they've already lost them. Really quick, I wanted to highlight companies that you know we mentioned in the story foster a company culture that's really unique in the industry. Craig, you you wrote up a story about the ET Group, and I really wanted to ask you more about how that went and what's so unique about them. They have a structure whereby basically anyone in the company can do just about anything. They, they okay. yeah, it's set up in a way that. If you have something that you're really passionate about, a, you know whether it's a, a policy within the company or a purchase that you think that the company really needs to make, um, you advocate for it. You get enough support for it, and and it happens. You know wh whether the CEO is on board with it or not. I mean, there is a CEO, but he defers on a lot of things. It's an interesting setup. You know, it's it's certainly unusual. And now just to be clear, Craig, you're advocating that all companies completely adopt this approach, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think <laughs> it would I think it would work 100% across the board for everyone. So everyone should do that starting today. Including the company you work for? Exactly. <laughs> How uncomfortable do you think you'd be if you were actually in that kind of office setting? Is that something that you would flourish in or? Um, I, I'm I personally tend to kind of like the, the structure of knowing that 
you know, this person does this thing, this person has this role, but there's obviously enough people that, you know, ET group, you know, has, has found and they're comfortable working in, in that sort of environment. And it's, it's certainly working for them. You no, know, what about, that's a good question for you too, though, Adam, how would you feel about being in that environment? Uh, well, I, yeah, that's a very good question. Yeah. I, I don't know if, I think the opportunity to, to say, hey, I think I have some ideas that could be worthy is, is attractive. But I also enjoy the idea of like, there are people at a company that I'm at who have been with this company for much longer than I have. So maybe it's best to consult with them uh, and just get, put some feelers out about this idea. So as long as a company like ET Group is like fostering a, an environment where employees feel that they can talk to each other, that makes perfect sense to me. If you have a, a company where they have that kind of structure that ET Group has, and then none of the employees like talking to each other at all, that's probably not going to work out so well. I imagine that they have to do a lot of uh, icebreaker kind of activities. And I think just to wrap up, that, that really does sort of signify the idea of following up on your goals. Investing money in anything should always be a very thoughtful decision. It should go without saying, but if Chuck has been hearing direct from integrator members about not always spending the time and research needed to make thoughtful decisions, then a piece of wisdom that's maybe a bit generalized, but useful to remember is do your research. About that weather. Oh, boy, that traffic doesn't sound good today. <laughs> <laughs>